Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Drill Down, business news behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 19, and you are listening to episode number 55. You thought we couldn't drive 55, but here we are, just ahead. COVID, both the market and chickens are worried. I kid you not, we will explain. And a little-known secret driver of inflation. And our guest, Jay Capitals and Stevenson Yang, compares Alibaba to Enron. Ouch. But first... It's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And did you know you can listen to The Drill Down on your smart speaker in your own home or wherever that smart speaker is? Just turn to the smart speaker and say something like, Hey, Alexa, play The Drill Down podcast. Try it. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. And boy, Isaac Webster, our executive producer, is about to tell us they were moving a lot today. Yeah, Corey, let's get straight to it. Stocks tumbling today, with Wall Street seeing its biggest drops in months. The Dow slumped about 725 points, or 2.1%. It's the worst one-day drop for the Dow in point terms since October. The Nasdaq and S&P saw their biggest drops in also two months. A big factor behind today's sell-off, anxiety about the spread of COVID-19's Delta variant, and investors sheltered in safety in the safety, perceived safety, I should say, of government bonds. The yield on 10-year Treasury notes fell falling to 1.1%. Eight one percent. It's the lowest level since February. Now, still, if you do, if you look at those one-year returns, the Dow is still up twenty-six percent. The S and P is up thirty percent over the past twelve months, and the Nasdaq is up thirty-two percent in a year. So, calm down. Yeah, so sky's calm, not falling. Calm. Yeah, chickens just, are scared. We'll get to that part. <laughs> but, but look, you know, my rule on this show is if the market, if the S and P isn't down one and a half percent, it's not news. Yeah, we don't talk really, about it. There's no need. It's, I mean, it's always a lead story in all the other news shows. It's like, what, what are you doing? Like, really, we're supposed to panic? Oh, please, watch our TV show. The world's ending. The Dow's down 0.8%. That's when they never tell you the percents. They always tell you points. Well, if the algorithm tells you to panic, then you panic, right? Then you turn on the TV. <laughs> Not doing it. Not doing all right, it. Then, but today, yeah. which is to say, today is worth note. Yeah, Something's for sure. changing. For sure. So there's something in the air. As anyone that's listening to the show knows, this COVID-19 resurgence has hit us hard too. So it's, you know, it's something to watch. And now Wall Street's paying attention. For people wondering, Isaac's better. I am. has gone. Yes, I am. And now his daughter's got it and his nanny's got it. Well, listen, you got to, we are still hunkered down. We've got another week to go before my household is in the clear yet. Uh, And we'll get there. We've already made it one week. All right, so- 
Number two story that we're watching today, oil prices also falling today. That's after OPEC and a Russia-led group of big oil producers agreed to raise production. The futures on Brent crude, the international, yeah, futures on Brent crude, the international benchmark tumbled 6.8 percent to 68.62 a barrel. That's the lowest level in more than six weeks. Yeah, well, this meeting's been going on for quite a while. There've been a lot of yeah. leaks about what was going on, maybe some yeah. misinformation as well as disinformation. But uh, big change in the price of oil. And as we know from so many of our guests, when oil goes below a certain price, some producers, particularly in the shale regions, just don't produce at all. Now, we're also watching this story, Bill Ackman, a SPAC U-turn for the hedge fund billionaire, Bill Ackman. Uh, Ackman's dropping his plans to use his SPAC to invest in Universal Music Group. Ackman says the SEC wasn't convinced the deal met the rules for such vehicles. And Ackman said his investment firm, Pershing Square, would instead take a stake in Universal and become a long-term investor in the company. It was just last month that we talked about on this show when Ackman said his SPAC had agreed to buy a 10% stake in Universal for French media conglomerate at Vivendi for about $4 billion. IPOs are still happening in size, but uh, the SPAC business has really slowed down since some changes in the accounting and some scrutiny from the SEC, which is a good thing. Very good thing. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I want to start with Tractor Supply Company. Tractor Supply Company, one of my dad's favorite stores, trades with the ticker TSCO. Shares dropped 4% today, but uh, Tractor Supply Company has gained 25% over the past 12 months. What's new with Tractor Supply Company? Quarterly earnings today, uh, and it was a really great quarter, but some of their comments, look, they got to the most important story of the day. Not how many live birds did Americans buy from Tractor Supply in the last year. It was 11 million. Wait, how many buy birds mowers? there? Yeah, chickens to, to eat, well, to cook and to raise, oh. to oh. have as pets. Because who doesn't want a dozen chickens as a pet? I, I, know, I know some urban chicken farmers. Well, they were buying stuff at Tractor Supply. They were also buying kayaks and dog gates and galvanized steel tubs. They were buying everything. But uh, that wasn't really the big question of the day for the markets, or really the most important thing I think I took away from Tractor Supply uh, in the quarter. The real big thing to take away was how bad is COVID now? And how different is that from what we expected even a few weeks ago? Here is Tractor Supply CEO, Hal Lawton. At the highest level, I'd say, you know, there still continues to be a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, in, in the United States economy and globally, uh, you know, whether that's on, uh, certainly as it relates to COVID, uh, the Delta variant, the implications that has on uh, mobility uh, and on customer shopping behaviors kind of implied a bit in the graphic Kurt showed was a bit more of a, um, a return to normal mentality at, at some point uh, that was more abrupt in, in nature. Uh, and, you know, I'd say, I think as we're all watching how COVID's playing out, um, that's certainly uh, not the case. So, yeah, just weeks ago, they'd shown some graphics to investors saying things are leveling out, and now that's not the case. Delta variant is changing their business. Now, the question for these guys is, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, they were trying to play kind of both sides of it. But uh, clearly the business that was so great for tractor supply during COVID, um, uh, you know, maybe that comes back, maybe it doesn't. But COVID is a bigger worry for them than it has been in recent weeks and months. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's take a look at Prologist. You know this company? 
I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a little familiar with it. Prologis trades under the ticker PLD. Over the past 12 months, Prologis shares have risen 33%. But what, what's the new story with Prologis? So the old story is that Prologis makes warehouses, essentially. I'm oversimplifying. But they make distribution centers, warehouses, and rent those out. They, they, they acquire real estate. They build. They manage uh, real estate uh, for warehouses and shipping. And as we know, the whole world of shipping and supplies has changed so much in the last 10 or 20 years going closer and closer with Amazon and companies like that moving a lot closer, not that there's other companies like Amazon, but they're, you know, distribution has changed. It's gotten closer to urban centers. These guys have been a great beneficiary of it. They're also neighbors uh, there to the drill down podcast. uh, Also out on one of the piers here in San Francisco, pier one. Um, And uh, in their uh, conference call, they talked a little bit about what was going on and what the big, uh, uh, whether or not oil prices were a problem from them because shipping is getting more and more expensive to do. Conversely, how much a rising economy and the rapidly growing GDP is helping them actually raise rents. And the the short of it is Michael Curlis, their chief customer officer, and Hamid Magadan, uh, the CEO, both said that rents are getting higher quicker and they're probably going to continue to go higher. I think one way you can really uh, <clears throat> represent this is the fact that we've had more customers competing over space than we've seen ever before. And that creates some difficult situations, but we always start with <laughs> transparency with both parties. But I got to tell you, the uh, the rent becomes a, a very minor discussion. Just the availability and accessibility of that space becomes the priority. So I think that's a good uh, description of uh, what we're seeing out there in terms of the And here's the CEO. Priorities. Craig, I wish we were losing more deals because of rent, because we actually look at that on a quarterly basis by geography, and the number is under 5%, which to me, it means we may not be pushing rents enough. So um, uh, in a way, uh, the fact that we're not losing those uh, those deals to rents may not be such a great thing. So interesting times there, a suggestion that rent's going higher, and of course, that flows right downhill to prices. Um Interesting stuff from Prologis, as always. I feel bad for Hamid because his favorite restaurant has been closed since COVID. His go-to lunch spot, spot where I have had lunch with him, which is right underneath my office. It's been the slanted door. has been gone for almost two years now. I remember the slanted doors. Uh, so he's also thinking that um, rents aren't going high enough. Isn't that what he was saying? He's saying they've got room to, to raise them more. I think he's saying to his, his customers, you're lucky. We could raise them even more if we want to. Oh, what a sweetheart. <laughs> like every landlord. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at AutoNation. AutoNation trades with the ticker AN. Shares rose almost 4% today, and they've gained 138% over the past 12 months. What's what's the story with AutoNation today? Well, AutoNation, important company because it is the largest automotive retailer. 300 owned and operated uh, stores. And uh, they had reported a quarter. It was a very strong quarter. Uh, gross profit up 89%. So gross profit, how, how much do they charge over the cost, their cost of the car? $4,157. Gross profit per used vehicle was up 24%. Wow. Uh, up to 2200 $440. So more than half of their revenues came from new car sales. Used was 28%. The remainder was parts and service. Uh, the balance um, of, of, you know, whatever, finance, insurance as well. But, uh, well, you know, well, Isaac, if you try to rent a car this year, 
I haven't. No. Don't. It's awful. There are only cars to be had. There are places you can. I've looked in in city after city in New York, for example, where you can't even get a car. There are no vehicles available. Um, And so one of the issues that happened is in COVID. Well, second question for you, Isaac. Uh Have you confusingly compared things to 2020 when you met 2019 or 2019 when you met 2020 this year? all the time. It's very, I mean, all the 20, time. 2020 is a bit of a blur. It's like they just, yes. bleed, everything bleeds into each other. So you're about to hear CEO Mike Jackson do that yeah. from AutoNation. But first, what, what happened last year was really interesting in the used car business because the rental car companies, w- recognizing that there just wasn't going to be any travel, dumped used cars onto the market. I, right. I should have bought a used car from them last year. They, they sold cars and sold cars and sold cars. So they dumped their fleets on the market lowering the prices across the industry. Right, okay. So this year, there's a shortage of new cars, period. The rental cars companies can't get them. No right. one can get them. Mm-hmm. More people are buying used cars. Used cars are going, prices are going through the roof compared to last year when they were in the tank. <laughs> so I know I'm mixing metaphors, but used car sales drive prices down last year because of the rental car companies. This car, they're going through the roof also because of the rental car companies to some degree. So the result is the inflation might be transitory, might be just year, might be not year over year, this year over last year only. So here is Mike Jackson from AutoNation saying this, I agree with the Fed. I think it could be transitory because of what I know about the used car business. And if I go to the second quarter of 2019. No, not 2019. Uh, pre-owned, uh, 2020. Right. Pre-owned, you know, there was a liquidation <laughs> of the fleet. Uh, there was pressure on pre-owned value. So you're comping against the downstroke uh, to now a, a recovery with the unique situation of uh, um, production disruption on the new vehicle side. So I, I agree with the Federal Reserve. I think inflation is in principle. We have a transitory uh, situation here and, and things will look different by the end of the year. Confidence. Well, I mean, From honestly, this is kind of good news. Hundred percent, hundred percent. If a th- I shouldn't say hundred percent when I'm not about to talk about percents. I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah. Um, because uh, um, if a third of our inflation reported this month right. was from something that a guy who should know says is a one-year thing, right? Then maybe inflation's a lot lower. But uh, we're still hearing about these other pressures, like we heard from Prologis and other things. So we shall see. But at least some of it uh, is indeed transitory. If you're one is to believe. Mike Jackson. And how could you not believe a guy whose name is Michael Jackson? Oh, wait, don't answer that. Let's move on. Our guests, Jay Capitals and Stevenson Yang, I said, and Stevenson Yang. She's got a really critical and really interesting view of Alibaba. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-R-E-R-A dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Hi, welcome back to The Drill Down. We're joined right now by Ann Stevenson-Yang from J Capital. She's brought a company we all know and some people love, Alibaba. Tell me about Alibaba. Let me let me ask the question I always ask of our CEO guests is, what does this company do? How do they make money? Alibaba? 
Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's there's the interesting thing because Alibaba would have you believe. I think most investors believe that Alibaba is this massive e-commerce platform and that it represents the growth of e-commerce in China. But in reality, Alibaba's growth is all coming from traditional businesses, from consolidation of, you know, retail chains and, you know, companies, little stores that sell tchotchkes and hot dogs and stuff like that. I was always blown away by the shipping component of that, which I guess is separate from what you're talking about. Yeah, that is. Um, and, and all, but another business that they consolidated a couple of years ago, Tsaniao. So, so talk to me about that, that sort of the, the, that amalgamation of all the other companies that, that is underneath the Alibaba um, roof. Well, I mean, you know, let me just lay my cards on the table. I think that Alibaba is an Enron scale fraud. Um, but I also think it's a really bad short um, because nobody's going to believe it until they believe it. And it has risen 200 and odd percent since it listed in 2014. So, you know, you ride Alibaba until you can't ride it anymore. But Al Alibaba is just this massive, massive agglomeration of businesses that's been, um, you know, hoovering up real estate businesses and retailers and logistics providers, as well as e-commerce platforms since it listed um, in 2014. It has acquired about $80 billion worth of assets since then. Yeah. I, I have to tell you that I have always been wary of this company. And the line item that's always got me uh, is exactly what you're talking about, is the acquisitions. Uh, in, in the most recent year, they had $1.8 billion of acquisitions of intangibles. And yet they don't even list all of the companies that they acquire uh, during the course of a year. They just sort of say, oh, yeah, we bought a whole bunch of companies. We're not going to tell you what it is. Even the parts of the companies that we can't say have a tangible value were $1.8 billion in 2020. But trust us. Oh, by the way, you also can't audit us. Right, exactly. And, you know, like, I'll give you one example. Last year in the, uh, I think it was the 2020 fiscal year, um, they, they derived 11.1 billion U.S. dollars of profit or of, you know, revenue from their increase in value of their 33% holding in Ant Financial. That was premised on Ant Financial IPOing. It was ridiculous anyway but it was premised on the IPO. Now Ant Financial's IPO has been put on ice indefinitely, but Alibaba hasn't written down that 11.1 billion. And they took that as a, as a increase in revenues? Well, it's an increase in, an in valuation, fair, fair value of an asset. So it's on the balance means, sheet, it's not on the, on the income statement. Well, it goes into income. So it, it's included in income. So, you know, if you look over their fair value increases, they've provided, yeah, 30% historically and about 50% uh, last year in, in the revenue. So, you know, what is that? Well, so so an Enron-sized fraud. That's a big one. It, that's a big one. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, so what, you know, I'm, I, I won't ask the question that, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering short seller, and, and I won't ask the question that uh, would, would annoy us all. Was, well, when is, when is this going to come unraveled and what's, What's going to make it stop? But what do you think is behind this and why is this company growing in such a fashion? There, there is a real business underneath some of this. Yeah, there's, there's a real business, but the real business is, is fairly modest. I mean, I'll tell you what's behind it. Back in 
1998 or so, um, China created its own investment bank called CICC. And that investment bank then went on to, to underwrite all of, basically all of the state-owned uh, company listings for the next decade. But there wasn't anybody to, to provide financing to the private sector. So along come Alibaba and Tencent, and that's what they do. So that's their function to the Chinese government. They provide massive financing. You know, they've basically gone out. I mean, Alibaba has gone out and collected uh, you know, 80 billion U.S. dollars from foreign investors and poured it into the uh, Chinese economy, acquiring stuff like, you know, one uh, uh, one assembly line from Hire and a whole bunch of um, of retail shops from InTime and so on and so forth, um, because, you know, that's the patriotic thing to do. Right. Which is which is which is by in other words by the government by the companies the government wants you to wants to be sold, right? Um, it is. I do think um, my friend Jim Chanos um, has has counseled me that you can't understand the big Chinese companies without understanding the Chinese government and Chinese politics, which I don't understand. Which again is why I would never own. I've never owned these things like this. Um, but it does seem that there is a shift right now. Obviously in the way the Chinese government is viewing publicly listed U.S. listed companies. Um, and I wonder, and, I, and I, you know, that is being posited by the mainstream business press as a bad thing, as if we want access to these companies um, as investors or as if these, these companies that can't be audited are, are good investments and so on. Um, that aside, and we can talk about what's good and bad about it, but I, I wonder what you think is driving that within China right now. I think it's really just control. It's... Um... It's kind of like, you know, when, when Didi, for example, uh, went and IPO'd in the U.S. without first getting its green light from the Chinese authorities, they basically just threw a tantrum. Um, and I think, I think the reason, it, it's control over the private sector and it's control over private control of, uh, of hard assets. So the state sector or raising money in renminbi, those are fine because the party has control over them. But if you go out, if you're like, Remember, remember a couple of years ago when they um, basically closed down and dissected Anbang and Dalian Wanda and yeah. um, you know all of those companies. It's because you know private control of all those billions of dollars. God knows what's good. You can take it out of the country. You can buy hard assets like the Waldorf Astoria or Hilton. Not a good thing for the for the Chinese government. So they don't want private companies to do that. That's the problem. And do you think this is a fundamental shift or this is a, a tantrum as you, as you su suggest? I think it's a fundamental shift. I think it was always going to happen, but as long as markets were super accommodating and were willing to, uh, to hand over lots of money to, to private Chinese companies, then they were stepping back and, and allowing it. But China has been very volatile and um, the currency has been volatile and undependable over the last few years. And so a lot of these, um, these private entrepreneurs have been taking money out. And that's, that's the problem. I also think that, that Trump provided almost an orange revolution level of warning to the, to the party, because they look out at that. You may remember that he met with Jack Ma before he met with Xi Jinping. Um, I don't remember you know, that, but I remember yeah, Jack he, Ma was, was not around to be seen for a good amount of time. And I, and I also think that that was a fundamental, uh, notable moment. Jack Ma, of course, the founder of Alibaba. 
Well, still, I mean, he's basically been under house arrest since last October. They trot him out every now and then to say, oh, I'm enjoying, you know, painting and watching movies. But, you know, this, the idea that you could just make, you know, somebody of the level of Jeff, Jeff Bezos just plain disappear. It's amazing. But at the any rate, in China. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I, I forget the train of thought, but the point is, is just, you know, you don't want you don't want people you, you, you don't want somebody like Trump or like um, Guo Wenguei, if you remember him, uh, Miles Kwok. Um, you don't want people like this accumulating the money to power themselves politically. Um, and that was the big concern. And Jack Ma clearly has political ambitions. He's written a very popular blog. He's given a lot of speeches. They don't like that. Interesting. Um, I, you know, when I looked at, so there was a time uh, many, many years ago, long before I was doing this or long before I was at Bloomberg, where I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was, I was running money. I was focused on the short side. And the shooting fish in a barrel thing never happens for short sellers. Maybe it did in 1998, 1999, looking at dot-coms where they just clearly had no business and weren't even trying. This was also the case with all these Chinese reverse mergers, hundreds of which never really had businesses that, that came to anything. These stocks achieved billion-dollar valuations, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollar valuations only, but were successfully could be shorted into zero eventually. Um, that There were so many companies that didn't have the kind of accounting standards that we have in the U.S. The U.S. accountants didn't have the ability to go, or the SEC didn't have the ability to go check the statements, check the accounting, and so on. Um, and the companies were allowed to list. Could the Chinese government be doing us a favor by taking those things out of the market? You know, U.S. Uh, investors, uh, particularly institutional investors, are going to find a way to get in anyway. In fact, ironically, I find a lot of pe a lot of um, investors and institutions are asking how they can increase their exposure to China, but do it safely, um, which is kind of, you know, wishful thinking to, to ask for that type of growth that Alibaba has provided, but the type of safety that, you know, a, a, a pokey stock like China Mobile has provided. Anyway, that, that's what people want and that's what they're going to find. Once the, the capital flows really reverse and the market starts to crash, then obviously things will different in the long run we're all dead right yeah. so sometime between now and then uh, but what do you think happens with alibaba i mean this this sort of this you know if you think it's a shell game of of acquisitions that then get valued for something that gets acquired at a higher ratio just because it's under the alibaba um umbrella um that could go on forever i mean this uh, do, you, do you think that that a real business emerges out of out of this company do you think it just continues to be uh, and an amalgamation of something like Enron was, like ITT was way back in the day, where it's just one acquisition after the next that gets a higher valuation because it's owned by Alibaba? It's way too late for it to emerge as a, as a real business. What I've always thought about Alibaba is that ultimately it, its value will drop a lot and then it will be acquired for shares by one of the telcos. Because, you know, China Mobile and China Unicom they, they, and China Telecom, they look out at Alibaba and JD and they think, God damn it, why didn't I do that? You know, because much higher valuation. I mean, consider they've got since, since inception, what, about 15 billion, 18 billion in share compensation? I mean, that's no small lettuce. Yeah, no kidding. So what do you look for as you follow this company? What are the sort of metrics you keep an eye on? I mean, 
it's on some level, you know, if, if you think it's all fake, there's nothing to watch here. But you presumably look at the quarterly numbers. You try to examine what's happening here. You've done the work to go, to go through the financial statements and so on. What is it that you follow in this company when you're trying to pay attention to it? What should I be looking for when the I, next I quarter is announced? I tell you, announced? Corey, I just throw up my hands. I think that Alibaba <laughs> is a... Um, it, 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 it tracks um, liquidity in the Chinese economy more than anything else, and it also responds to political issues. It's fundamentals. You know, they're going to report what they report, um, you know, and, and eventually it's going to, it's not going to work anymore, but I'm not going to figure out how to short that. Sorry so about you that. Look at you look at the news. No, I appreciate that. Um, I like I said, I this is one I've avoided as well um, from every way, um, including I didn't want to cover it when I was working at Bloomberg because it was, it was just I knew that whatever I was saying that was in the numbers, I didn't, I couldn't vouch for, and so I really did wasn't something I wanted to jump on and say, hey, look at this over here. Um, is so there's, so it sounds like news flow is more important than quarterly numbers at least. The the quarterly numbers are what you know whatever they feel like making up. I mean. The, the, the thing about Alibaba, you mentioned how they keep acquiring all these things. I think they've acquired about 150, 170 companies since they IPO'd and they have yeah. over, they have something like 2000 subsidiaries. The, those companies that they acquire often for a lot of money just pop up in the disclosures and then pop down again. So now we have no idea how, you know, Yoku, which is their equivalent of YouTube, is doing. Um, or in time or, you know, any of the big. So how are you supposed to get a grip on what's actually going on? They don't even, I'll tell you, Alibaba is supposed to be, you know, brilliant at data analysis and they have credit records and da, 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 da. They don't even tell us the breakdown of product sales on their platform, right? They could. Yeah. They don't want to. Why? Because, you know, they'd have to tell us, oh, well, actually e-commerce is just like, you know, 10%. We'll never know. Right. Um, and thank you very much, Ann Stevenson Yang of J Capital. We're glad to have you uh, we'll take a look at this company and give a look a little different than what people get to hear on other shows. So we appreciate it. A pleasure. Right, coming Corey. up next, the drill down bites coming up next. We're going to have one number about Alibaba that will tell you a whole lot after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we've had a bunch of big interviews lately. The CEO of Purple Innovations, the mattress company. The CEO of Devon Energy, the uh, horizontal driller of oil and gas. The CEO of Take-Two Interactive, Strauss Zelnick. Lots of clues about what's going on with those businesses and how they're going to perform in the future. Go back and check them out or even hit subscribe or follow us so you catch every show as it happens. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down and the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We were talking about the mysteries of Alibaba's many acquisitions. We'll include it in that, as I mentioned uh, in passing. Here's this number, the cost just for last year of the uh, acquisition of licensed copyrights and intangible assets, things that can't even be measured, was $1.813 billion for Alibaba just in 2020. Shows you sort of how they really tell you that they're just buying lots of stuff that can't be measured, the value of which is kind of unknown. All right, that's it for 
The Drill Down today. We appreciate your joining us. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.